All right, good morning. Really glad to come in. To... Thank you. <laughs> Be with you guys this morning, back to our Catalyst family. Um, I was talking with Barry, and we wanted to, to keep in touch more often, and so I think we kind of settled on once a quarter, so you'll see my lovely mug here a little bit more often, and uh, I really appreciate that, just being connected with you guys, and uh, just love how you guys support me and Susan and my family, and just this journey that we have in being a Catalyst. So that's kind of the series that uh, Barry invited me to come to share about being a Catalyst. And uh, I think I shared last time I was here that the Lord gave me kind of the word that I'm Catalyst Mobile, right? So that's kind of what I've been stepping into for the past year and a half. So, uh, well, I wanted to share kind of a scripture today that uh, is an encouragement to me about being a Catalyst. So um, why don't we jump right in? It's in Judges chapter 6, and uh, this is the story of Gideon. And so let me just give you a little background first before we kind of jump into the passage today. So this is a time in Israel, okay? So then they're going and they're having different judges that are ruling over the nation, okay? And in this particular time, uh, before we look at the section on Gideon, it says particular, it says Israel was doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And as a result, uh, different nations would come in and... Uh, kind of take over. And in this case, it's the Midian. It's the Midianites. They've taken over this area of Israel, and they've uh, been over them and uh, really oppressing them for the past seven years. Okay, so that's this, that's the setting that comes into the story. We're going to pick up in verse 11. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belongs to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. Verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Okay, and then, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Okay, so the Lord comes, uh, and he comes through his messenger, the angel of the Lord, and he approaches Gideon. Okay, so notice how he addresses Gideon. He says, Oh, you mighty warrior. Okay, so that's how he addresses Gideon. Okay, what is Gideon's response? He's upset. Okay, and I think he has reason to be upset. They're under oppression. They're under oppression by the Midianites, right? The Midianites are coming and they're taking their land and taking all their crops. And so when you see him pressing the, the threshing, the wheat in the wine press to try to keep it hidden, he has to keep it hidden for a reason. It's because it's getting stolen and it's getting uh, taken away from the people. Okay, so there's a reason why he's feeling this way and he's expressing it to God, he's expressing it to the angel. It says, where are all his wonders that the ancestors told about that I keep hearing about that this is the God that took our nation and called us and created us to be a great nation, take us out of Egypt. Where's that? I don't see that. Kind of gives you a picture of where Gideon is at. Verse 14, then the Lord, the angel turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not 
sending you. So he hears Gideon's complaint and hears his heart, but he says, I want you to do something about it. I want you to do something about it. Verse 15, um, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. Okay, so this is Gideon's reply, right? He says, what are you talking about? How can I do that? I'm this, where I'm in the smallest clan, and it, within that clan, I'm in the smallest family. I'm the weakest in my family. How am I supposed to come and to deliver Israel out of the Midianites' hand, the ones that have been oppressing us for the past seven years? How is that possible? Now, it's interesting when you look at different people in the Bible, and the Bible have a lot of people that I would describe as a catalyst, that God has used as a catalyst. Okay, so what, what's a catalyst? Do you know what a catalyst is? I'm not really too familiar right, with science and stuff, so I had to kind of look it up a little bit, right? I remember hearing stuff in the past, but catalyst is like a little change agent, right? It's just a little thing that you add to to have a chemical reaction increase or go faster or be more powerful, okay? And so the catalyst itself goes in there and it does that, but it itself it doesn't change, which is kind of surprising because it causes all these reactions to happen. All these chemicals are coming and colliding and smoke is happening and bubbling and all these things that are happening, but the catalyst just stays the same. It's like, almost like it's not even there. And when you look at that, that's an interesting picture when we think about us being a catalyst. Because when we look at different catalysts in the Bible and you look at the things that they did, you're like, wow, that's amazing. You know, you look at people like David or, or Jesus or different people like that, and you're thinking like, wow, how could I be like that? But then that's why I'm encouraged by stories like this. Or like Moses, for example. You know, when Moses is approached by Jesus and uh, approached by the Lord about the burning bush, he has a similar kind of response as Gideon. He says, uh-uh, no, not me. Like, I'm a stutterer. I can't talk. I'm not going to be able to do that. And I think I appreciate these stories because that's the way I feel a lot. And I think a lot of us feel this way, is when the Lord calls us to be a catalyst, this is our initial reaction. Like, are you, do you, did you get the right number? You know, when you're calling here, like, I can't be a catalyst. I can't do these things that I see other people doing. I can't do the things that I see uh, in the Bible or other people, other pastors or missionaries or all these things. Like you hear Pastor Robert O tell all these different stories about all these things he's doing. I'm like, I can't be like that. I can't be like a catalyst like that. And it's very easy for us to have that kind of response and that kind of reaction. And I think that's why this story is encouraging. Okay, so this is, this is the start of the story. I'm going to fast forward, actually, to the end of the story. To, well, not the final end, but to the Judges chapter 7. Okay, Judges chapter 7. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. Okay, so early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moriah. And the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I can't deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me, saying, my own strength has saved me. Okay? Verse 11. 
He says, now this is what I want you to do. I want you to announce to your army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Okay, so it's uh, been a while since I've been in school doing math, but according to my math, that makes 32,000, right? Is that correct? Right, so 22,000 left, 10,000 remaining. So that's 32,000 he's starting with. And the Lord is saying, that's too many people. Okay, later in the count, we learn that the Midianite army is 135,000. Um, my calculation, 32,000 against 135,000 sounds like a little bit outnumbered to me, right? But the Lord says, you have too many. There's too many for you to go and to attack Midian. Okay, so he gives them this, this call, and Gideon does it. He says, anyone who trembles may fear back, and you can leave. So, 22,000 of the 32,000, they left. So 10,000 remain. Verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, there is still too many. Really? 10,000 is too many? But he says, this is too many. He said, take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. Okay, so then he does this kind of thing where, you know, he goes to, the, goes to the stream and says, everybody who like laps, you know, the water out of the thing like a dog, you know, that's one group. And the other people who drink it out of their hands, you know, that's another group. And then it turns out, he says, only the people who drink it out of their hand and are paying attention and looking around, those are the only ones that I want. Okay, how many of those? 300. Okay, so we went from 32,000 to 10,000, to 300. Okay, again, if my math is correct, that's about 90% decrease, right? He chopped off 90% of the army that was already outnumbered 5 to 1, right? Already outnumbered, and he reduced that number by 90%. What was the purpose of this, right? What was the purpose of this, okay? But what's actually interesting to me is not that, it's actually Gideon, right? Remember Gideon? Remember Gideon chapter 6? I am the weakest of the weakest. I am the lowest of the low. There's no way that I'm going to do that. But what do we see here with Gideon? What is he doing? He's doing everything that the Lord tells him to do. He's starting with 32,000. He reduces it down to 10,000. He takes the 10,000. He reduces it down to 300. Okay, at least it's not recorded. He doesn't give any objection. He doesn't say, wait a minute. I think I would say, wait a minute. <laughs> we already don't have enough people. How come you keep reducing it down to this insane number of only 300 going up against 135,000? This doesn't make any sense. But we have no record of that. We have no record of that. Then let's look at verse 17. Uh, Judges chapter 7, verse 17 says, Watch me. This is Gideon. It says, Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of camp, do exactly as I do. And when I and all who are with me will blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp below, uh, 
or on the camp, blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Like, what has happened to this guy? Okay, for the Lord, I get, right? You're going to go shout saying, for the Lord. But now he says, for the Lord and for Gideon. I'm like, what has gotten into Gideon? He's like this full, he's exactly what the Lord saw who he was. Exactly what he said when the first introduced himself to him. He says, mighty warrior. This is exactly what that looks like. He's doing exactly what God saw, what was already there. He goes in verse 19, it says, Gideon and, and, and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp, and at the beginning of the middle of the watch, just after they had changed their guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies, he broke that up into three different groups, blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, they soared for the Lord and for Gideon. Okay, so it's interesting. Look at verse 20. It says, in the left hand, they're holding what? They're holding torches, and in the right hand, they're blowing trumpets. Guess what's not in their hand? Swords! <laughs> You're going into battle! In one hand, you have, you have torches, and the other hand, you have trumpets. What you don't have is what I think you need into going into battle. You don't have any swords! Yet, Gideon is confidently leading his 300 people out into battle against the Midianites with no weapons. What happened to Gideon? Okay, if you're familiar with the story, he ends up defeating the Midianites. He's tracking them down. He hunts them down. He destroys all of them. How does that happen? What happened to Gideon? How did he become and be used by the Lord in this way and become such a great catalyst and become a judge in Israel? When he started out, I am the least of the least and I am nothing. I can't do this. Well, okay, I showed you the beginning. I showed you the end. There's something happened in the middle, right? What happened in the middle? Okay, let's look at that. Judges chapter, uh, Judges chapter 6. Okay, there's several things that happen, but I think this is the most significant. Judges chapter 6, verses 36 to 40. It says, Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. And if there is dew on the fleece and all the ground around it is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Verse 38. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Okay, and this is interesting to me. Verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. Let, me. let me just make one more request. Let me one more test with the fleece. Okay? But this time, make the fleece dry and then make everything else around it wet. Okay, so basically the opposite, right? The first time he wants the fleece wet and everything I want it to be dry. Okay, the second time he says, can we do the opposite this time, Lord? Can we make the fleece dry and everything around it be wet? So I don't know if it's the first time when he had the fleece like 
Maybe an animal came by and went to the bathroom on it or something, and that's why it's wet and everything around it is dry. I don't know if that's going in his mind, but he says, that's not good enough. I need to do it again, Lord. Can I do it again? Can I test you one more time? Can I have it where the fleece is dry and everything around it is wet? That seems a little bit harder. Can we do that one? And what happens? Verse 40, that night, God did so. He did it. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Now, when I look at this, right, and to me, this is, this is the central thing that kind of changed Gideon, right? From this person who had no courage, no belief, no understanding, to this person who had crazy, insane, doesn't make any sense kind of courage, taking 300 people with no weapons to fight 135,000 people, right? This was something that happened. What happened here? Now, it's interesting when you look at this, because from my understanding, it's not good to test God, right? It's not good to test God. In fact, when you look at Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4, he was tempted, right, by three different temptations. And one of the temptations, Satan kind of brings him up to the pinnacle of the top of the temple and tells him to jump down. And he quotes even the Psalms and says, don't worry, you can jump down. The angels are going to come. They're going to come save you. There's going to be no harm that comes to you. What is Jesus' response to them? You shall not test the Lord your God. Do not test God. But isn't that what Gideon's doing? Isn't exactly that what he's doing? Now, this is an important question to ask because how many of you have done something like Gideon, right? Where you feel like there's some kind of big step of faith, some kind of big decision or big thing to do, and then you ask the Lord, okay, if this is what you want me to do, can you do this? Can you give me a sign? Can you show me something? Can you, like, do this fleece thing? Can you do this other thing? And the question is, is that okay? Is that okay to do that? Is that okay to ask that of the Lord? Well, when I look at this account, he does it. Not once, but he does twice he does it. And it's interesting because when I look at Gideon, he tests in this way with his fleece. He does it twice, but I don't think it's the same for the same reason. Okay? I think the first one is to show that God is powerful. The second one, I think, is he'll do that for me. He'll do that for me. Right? The first one, I think, is to show, like, God is amazingly powerful. He's here with me. He did this amazing thing where he had the fleece wet and everything else was dry. I think the second one was not about a repeat of that, but it was saying, will you do it for me again? Will you do it for me again? Don't be upset with me. I'm going to ask you if I could do this one more time. Can you do that for me again? What was the Lord's response? I'll do it for you again. Something changed in Gideon. Something changed to transform him so he could be a catalyst. It was this. It was the Lord showing him two things. One, I'm super powerful. I'm more powerful than you could even imagine. I can do miraculous things. Second, and I can do it with you. 
We think that God is amazing, He's powerful, He can do amazing things, but He does it with other people. Transformation that Gideon had is that He do it with me. The least of the least, the, the weakest of the family, He can do it with me. And something changed in Gideon. Something transformed in him. Right? When he recognized that God was with him. Now I'm going to invite Evasia to come up and she's going to share a story about, uh, and I love how God kind of just talks to Evasia and thinks it's going to happen, but she's going to share a story about how uh, God used her as a catalyst. So let's uh, give Evasia a hand. Well, I had all these notes and I really felt like the Lord said, just speak from your heart. Um, so when I graduated from uh, college, I started working at the Billings YMCA. And, but I knew in junior high that I was supposed to be a PE teacher, so I really felt that's where my calling is. And so, but at the YMCA, there was one class that I would never go to, and that was the water aerobics class, because I thought it was a bunch of senior citizen women with flowered swimming caps, and I did not want to be a part of that. I thought, no, you're not going to get me in there. So I worked for the Y, and then I actually got a job out here in North Hollywood at the YMCA. Still never went to the water exercise class. And then eventually I got a job down at uh, Lakewood at the YMCA. Still never went to the water exercise class. Wasn't even on my radar. Then I eventually got into teaching. I taught for like 25, 26 years. About the 27-year mark, I started doing half marathons. Um, Anne was really helping out with the uh, uh, World Vision, and I thought, you know, this is something I've never done, and I want to do it. I love a challenge, so I start doing it. I get to mile nine, and I start cramping up so bad. I could barely make it across the finish line, but I still like, oh, I did it, and so I'm like, the next thing I did is I go, I want to do a trail run, a half marathon. I did it again. I get to mile nine, start cramping up, can barely get across and then I go, you know what, I still want to do it again. I want to see if I can make it across the finish line and not cramp up. No, it didn't happen. The last one I did was the worst ever. And uh, I felt like I, I could hardly walk. I went and saw my doctor, Agnes. She got me some medication. It helped for a while. I couldn't sleep. I, could I couldn't hardly walk, could hardly drive for a year and a half. And the Lord says, why don't you try water aerobics? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And I, by then I was so desperate for something because I could hardly move. And I'm a very active and outdoor person. So I got, I went in there and I go, oh, I'm going to see all these women in flowered swim caps. And I went to the night class. And what I found is a lot of them were teachers just like me. And I thought, oh, I found my place. Um, and then I was getting toward the end of my school year. I had in 2020, I was going to retire, and March 2020 hits, and my vice principal comes in, and he goes, we're going to line up all your students. We're going to hand out Chromebooks, and for the next two weeks, we're going to send your students home. Did, little did I know that was going to be the last time I ever saw my students or the staff. And my teaching became, they said, you don't even have to go online with your students. It was like my purpose just diminished. I was like, they don't even really need me to teach, but they're paying me. And I'd put assignments on, but I go, I don't even feel like my calling is there anymore. 
And I go, God, where is my calling? And I retired on a Zoom call. And I was like, I just felt like really anticlimactic after 30 years. So I, I did the one thing that finally started opening up as I went back to the Y to water aerobics. And I was taking it, when, once they finally opened up, we had to wear face shields and I didn't care. We were wearing face shields in the water, taking water aerobics, and I was taking classes two or three times a day. And all of a sudden, I met this community of women during the day. Yes, they were senior citizens, a lot of them, but they were also lacking purpose. And I go, this is why I'm here. And the Lord said, and I was also in a community of people, especially like around the Long Beach area. I was on different sides politically. I was different sides on the vaccine mandates. I was just like, I don't really feel fit in. If I speak up, they're going to say something. So I'm like, okay. I, but the Lord said, I want you to be a bridge. Because we were so diverse politically on what people felt about the vaccines. He goes, I want you to be a bridge. So the first thing I started doing is if someone said they had an injury, I said, can I pray for you? And I'm praying for them in the water. And then they'd, and I had people coming to me almost weekly. Well, I had a woman, her son was living on the streets in New York. I prayed for him. Within two weeks, he returned home. Um, I had people going through cancer and estranged uh, families. And I, must have, I was praying almost weekly for people. And these were people that we were on opposite sides. And, bridge, and prayer was bridging the gap. And then all of a sudden, I was like, there was these two women. I, I, I also felt like the Lord said, um, I want you to go back into education because that really is your sphere of influence. And so I went back to my old school, and I started teaching online for about four months, all the sixth graders at my former school. And I thought, okay, I, I got my purpose back. And so I signed up to... Uh, be a substitute teacher for the following year. And then because I chose not to get vaccinated, they said, you cannot even step on campus. And I thought, wow, my purpose is diminished again. The Lord said, no, you're right where you're supposed to be. And so I stepped into the pool again, and I started praying. And this was with purpose, and I was just standing up for what I believed but I was praying for people, so they were coming to me. Can you pray for me? My niece is wandering off. I'm going in for cancer. I'm going in for a knee replacement. I'm going in for a hip replacement. My grandchildren won't, aren't allowed to come see me. Can you pray for me? And one of the women that I prayed for, she started a, a group chat. And it was for, uh, like, potlucks to get together. And even though I didn't go, she said it started turning into almost like a, a group support. And then just this last week, or two weeks ago, they would send pictures before of uh, trips they had gone on. And all of a sudden, something switched. And the woman who had her son living on the streets, she said, we went out to dinner. We came home, and our son has left again. Can you pray for us? We don't know where he is. A few days later, another woman, she texts back, and she's, and these are not Christian women. 
Another woman says, I'm in the hospital right now. They can't diagnose what I have. Can you pray for me? A day later, another woman, she's actually one of our uh, substitute instructors. She is a believer. She says, I went in for a biopsy, and I thought it was going to be normal, and I found out I have cancer. And her husband has diabetes, and he's blind, and he can hardly walk. Can you pray for me? And I thought, this is why I'm here. And one of the greatest lessons I learned is when I was telling people why I couldn't go back to teaching or why I was pro-life, is they came up to me one day and they said, do you mind if we ask you why, what you believe? And I shared them with what I believed, and they said it in such a respectful way. I said, that's what I want to be is I want to draw out people's purpose and do it in a respectful way, not an offensive way. So this last Friday, the woman that has um, cancer, all of a sudden we're in the pool, and a woman goes, let's gather around her. And they gathered around her. Again, not, not a group of Christian women. They gather around her and they go, let's pray for her. And the woman that started, she goes, I have never said any prayer but the rosary, but I want to pray. And I'm like, God, you're doing something here in the water. I can't believe it. And it was because we just kept saying yes and stepping into our purpose. And I was thinking about this this morning, as a lot of times people are wondering where their purpose is. They feel like they're in this holding pattern flying around like, God, when are you going to land me somewhere? And we think our purpose is a place or a position. And sometimes it is, but it's a place of humility and a position of being before God. And so I, I wrote this, um, this poem. It's called um, Right Where I Am, and I'm, I'll close with this. You are looking for your meaning and purpose, but it might be just where you are. Amidst your colleagues and workplace, it might not be that far. It might be on a field or playground where your children spend their time. Amidst others in similar stages where your purpose and calling there align. It might be at your schooling where you're studying with your peers as you go through classes there together, as you go through all the years. It might be in your neighborhood as you step out of your place and you learn to know your neighbors and you meet their face to face. It might be amidst the loss and tragedy that I've had you walk through so that you can sit with others amidst the sorrow and so they know I am someone they can go to. It might be in celebrations that it's your voice cheering others on whether in a word of encouragement or on the sidelines when hope is gone. It might be in an act of service, a skill that comes so easy then to you, that you bless others with your kindness, and it's something that reflects the things I do. So wherever is your calling and purpose, it is the place where you and I reside, because where I am within your presence is where you are created and called inside.
when I when I hear Evasia's uh, kind of testimony, um, gosh, there's so many things that are striking me. But um, one is just I I really recognize that um, gosh, the need is so great, you know, and. You know, it was before COVID and all this stuff, but I feel like things have just really intensified and accelerated. Like, there's so much opportunity. There's so much opportunity. You know? And the other things that really strike me about Avasia's story, and she kind of alluded to it, is like, I think one of the things that we need to break out of when we want to be a catalyst is that we have a certain picture of what we think that looks like. You know, we see other people being a catalyst and say, oh, that's what it means to be a catalyst. I need to be like that. And I think that what I really appreciate about Evasia's story is, like, she kind of wrestled with that. She thought, okay, it's going to look like this, me being a teacher, right? And then she got that kind of taken away. It's like, okay, now I'm getting revived again. Okay, let's go back to trying to be a teacher. And then that kind of gets pulled back again. And God's saying, it doesn't have to look like that. It's not limited by that. God's not limited by our circumstance. God's not limited by our situation. God's not limited by our position. God's not limited by our ability. That's the great thing about Evasia's story and Gideon's story. It has nothing to do with them. It has to do with God. It has to do with what he can do, not what we can do. That's why I love the story of Gideon. <coughs> he started by looking at himself and saying, I can't do that. And I look at that and say, you're probably right. You're probably right. You probably can't do that. But that's not what God is seeing. God is saying, you can do that when I work through you. The more we look at ourselves, the more tentative we'll be. The more insecure we'll be. The more hesitant we'll be. The more excuses we'll have. You're saying, I don't know enough. I need to learn more. I haven't experienced enough. I need to experience more. I need more of this. I need more training. I need more whatever comes in our mind. I need X, Y, and Z before I can step out and be a catalyst. What's the problem with that? Not that there's anything wrong with gathering that and having helpful tools and information. That's all great. But it really puts the focus on the wrong place. It makes the focus on us. And when, our, when the focus is on us, we can't be a catalyst. Because the power of the catalyst doesn't come from us. It comes from God. It comes from, from the one who made you. That's the other part I love about Evasia's story. She's just being who she is. Your, your story is not going to look like hers exactly. She made, God created her to be social, and God created her to be active. And what did she do? She was active and social. That's all she did. She was just being who she is. She's just being herself. She's saying, I love being active, and I can't do it this way, so let me try to do it this way. And God put her into the water where she said never thought she would be. But she was just being who she is. That's all you need to be. You don't need to be someone like Gideon. You don't need to be like a baby. You don't need to be like me. You just need to be you. That's why I love the Catalyst Mission Statement. We want you to experience all you were created and called to be, not what someone else was created and called to be, who you were created and called to be. But the question that is for us today, and I really appreciated when uh, Pastor O, he spoke a few weeks ago, and uh, do you know I listen to every, every message from Catalyst? 
Okay, so I'm a part of Catalyst. I'm in the heartbeat, right? So <laughs> I listened to every message. So I listened to Pastor O's message, and I loved it when he talked about Christianity is aggressive, right? That we're always feeling so defensive, and we want to just survive, and we want to just hold our ground. It's meant to be offensive. Like, we have the victory. We have the king. We have the one who's sitting on the throne. That shouldn't be our posture, right? But it's one thing to say that, but it's another thing to do that. But it starts here in the heart. You have to want it. Do you want to be a catalyst? It's not a rhetorical question. It's a question that you need to ask yourself and ask the Lord. Do I want to be a catalyst? Do I want to be all that God created and called me to be? Do I want to live that to the fullest? You know, again, it's not a rhetorical question because it sounds like, okay, yeah, should be a yes. But that's where it starts. I think it starts with our heart that we want to make a difference. We want to be a catalyst because that is who he created us to be. Ephesians 2.10, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. He did it. We don't have to do it. And the more we can take our eyes off to ourselves, the better position we'll be to be a catalyst. Stop looking at yourself and what you can do and start looking at God and what he can do. That's the biggest thing to being a catalyst is we have to stop being self-focused, right? We have to break out because everything is causing us to look inside. You know, I'm guilty of that so much. How much of your day is spent thinking about you? If you're like me, 99.9, right? Even when I'm thinking about somebody else, it's for me, right? Like, I'm like, let me take care of my wife so things will be better at home for me, right? I'm just being honest. Sometimes that's the way it happens, right? Right? It's like I'm always thinking about me. If you're always thinking about you, you can't be a catalyst because the catalyst is used for something outside, not something for inside the catalyst. Catalyst is supposed to be used to put outside in some situation to accelerate and to see God's power work and to see things accelerate for things that he wants to happen. And that can happen. That can happen to every single one of you, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through. Even if you feel like Gideon and feel like, I'm in the dumps. I'm suffering. I'm under the oppression of the Midianites. I'm enslaved. I'm feeling horrible. It doesn't disqualify you because it's not up to you. It's not about your circumstance. It's not about your position. It's not about your ability. It's about God. God is the catalyst. He's the power that makes it happen. And the more we can connect with him, the more we can step into being a catalyst. And so that's my encouragement today is, is I think we need to rise up and say, Yes, and that's exactly what Evasion said. Is just, I just keep saying yes, you know? And it seems scary, and some of you, like, think about what she says. Like, oh, I can't do that. I still can't do that. Like, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you can't do that. But God can do that, right? And that's the mentality we have to keep switching. And when I had that happen to me, everything started opening up. You know, it's interesting because I, I was invited onto this one project at Standing Stone, and this project is uh, just starting to get launched. 
Um, and so one of, the, one of the members of Standing Stone wrote this book called God Meetings. And this book is called God Meetings. It's about uh, how does the board meetings or the leadership meetings at church look different when God is running the meeting instead of running it like a business meeting, which is how a lot of board meetings kind of run, like a business meeting. And so uh, I was one of the early people that kind of like read it. He asked me to read it and give input. And so I don't know if he thought, because I wrote a book, that I could do this. But I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever I can. And so he sent it out to me. And then I was reading it. And then while I was reading it, I was like, I really resonate with this. And in fact, a lot of things he wrote in this book are exactly what we try to practice at Catalyst. When I was here as an executive pastor, this is, this is what we try to do, right? We didn't know what we were doing exactly at the time, but this is exactly what he wanted us to do. And so as I'm reading this, the Lord is saying, I want you to be involved in this ministry. There's a reason I had you in that position at Catalyst as executive pastor, overseeing all the board and all these different things. There's a reason I had you in that position. And it wasn't just for Catalyst. It was for more than that. So I'm listening to that and thinking, oh, wow. Okay. And so I reach out to, uh, his name is Dave Beckwith. I reach out to Dave and I said, hey, I just, I don't know where you are in terms of kind of launching this ministry, but I really felt like from the Lord that uh, he wanted me to help in whatever way I could. And then, you know what he said to me? Thank you so much because I really felt like I had to do this by myself. And that really touched me and really touched him, right? And so we're still kind of in the middle of it, but you've had a couple meetings where we're brainstorming. And out of the one, one of the brainstorming meetings, uh, he sent me the notes because I couldn't make it. And they were sharing about different people they want to get involved. So they want to do some training videos, and they want to get some prominent Christian leaders to be in the videos, right? So when we go and we promote it to different churches, they'll recognize some of the names and maybe be more open to kind of using it. So then they sent me the list, and I'm looking at this list and thinking, oh my goodness. You know, they have prominent pastors like Greg Laurie and some other people. They have like uh, famous authors that I know for you old school people. Henry Blackaby, who's experiencing God, he's on that list. And like other people on that list, like president of the, of the Christian Athletes of America is on that list. A senator is on that list. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm glad I wasn't at this meeting right? Because I don't know anybody like that, except for maybe Barry, but I don't know anybody like that, you know? And then I just started questioning myself. It's like, what am I doing a part of this group? You know, what do I bring to the table? <laughs> you know, like, how am I going to contribute to this group of people here? And you know what the Lord told me is, why are you, why are you involved in this? And I said, well, because you told me, because you invited me to do it. And then I started realizing, I do bring something. I bring God. I bring God. And then I thought, God is much more powerful than Greg Laurie or Henry Blackaby or Senator or any, he's much more powerful than that. So if God is calling me and with me, that's what I bring. And all of the, the insecurities just kind of faded away. It's like, I'm not going to bring anything anyway. Any, any thought that I thought I was going to bring anyway kind of got dispelled and put it on the shelf. Which is, but that's the reality. It's like, it's not about me and what I can bring. It's not about my connections, who I know. It's not about what I can do or my knowledge. It's about, is the Lord in this? Is the Lord with me? And if he is, 
That's enough. That's enough. Let's pray. So, Father, I, I pray that you would bring your encouragement this morning. I pray that there's people here that maybe feel like Gideon, who feel oppressed and feel discouraged. And maybe the thought of being a catalyst is the furthest thing away from your mind. Like you're just trying to make it. You're just trying to go day to day. And I think the story of Gideon can be an encouragement to us because when I look at the, the story of the, the two fleeces that he put out, one was to show your power, but the second is to show your heart. That your heart is with us, that you see us. That you know where we're at. You know what's going on. But at the same time, you don't want that to stop us. You don't want that to hinder us. And so I pray this morning that we could release those things. I pray this morning through the Holy Spirit that you could take our eyes off of ourselves and to put it on you. And when we put it on you, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged this morning to say, like, my future's not dependent on me. My future's not dependent upon what I can do. My future's not dependent on what I know. It's, dependent, it's not dependent on my bank account or my job or my position. My future is dependent on you. And you can do it. And you can do it. So I pray that you would receive you this morning, Lord. Receive you, the catalyst, the main catalyst. So I pray that we would receive from you this morning and that we worship you and respond to you and pour out our heart to you and say, yes, this is what I want. Yes, this is what I want. I don't know how it's going to happen, and that's okay. You don't need to know how. You want to declare this morning, this is what I want. I want to be a catalyst. I want to have more of you. I want to be all that you are created. I was created and called to be in Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that nothing is on our own. Everything is about you, for you, and by you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for our online service. Hope you will join us in person sometime. It would be great to see you and meet you. Don't forget to subscribe to our Catalyst YouTube channel so you don't miss out on anything. And be blessed this week. And as always, thank you, Jesus. And you stand undefeated.